and I just want to mention this quickly, but you know, a lot of us have been looking forward to uh, more people than me because I haven't been super stoked about it because I didn't like the trailers. But there have been a lot of people who've been very excited about checking out this Modoc show that's been coming to Hulu's original, you know, Marvel's Modoc and all that kind of stuff. So it dropped a couple of days ago. I've had a really busy weekend. So Anne and I, we planned that we were going to go to, to uh, uh, what, what's I just say? We were at Disneyland. We were going to go to Disneyland. And so we go to Disneyland. By the way, Marie Seifring sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, Marie. Um, we go to Disneyland and the plan was we're going to get back from Disneyland. Uh, I'm going to do a companion video. I never did the companion video yesterday because I my Canadian sensibilities don't do well walking over 10 miles. And we did. I tracked it. We walked over 10 miles at Disneyland and I got way more sun than I'm used to getting. So when we got home, I was knocked on my ass. So part one of our plan when I got home was the first I was going to do a companion video. Never did it. By the way, Kimberly Curran's coming in later today, guys. So we're going to do a companion video later with me and Kimberly. So keep your eyes open for that. But then the second half of the plan after I did my companion video was we were going to watch MODOK because we were both curious to watch MODOK. And holy shit, it sucks. Oh my God, it's so, so utterly not entertaining. And, you know, listen, first of all, some of you got to know about me, Rob. Like, I think I was telling you a little bit earlier, uh, if if Patton Oswalt was in my circle of uh, uh, friends, I would make him the godfather of my children. Like, I love Patton Oswalt. This dude is hilarious. I, I love him in his interviews. He seems to have his personal life. Like, he just seems to live a really good life. I think he's tremendously talented. His stand-up comedy is awesome. I, I mean, he will always, to me, be the voice of Ratatouille, obviously. I just love Patton Oswalt. But, oh my God, this show is bad. Like, Ann and I got through the first episode. And when the first episode ended, she looked at me. She goes, I didn't hear you laugh once. And I turned to her and I said, I didn't hear you laugh once. And she said, that's because it wasn't funny. I said, I agree. <laughs> and so I said, well, let's give a second episode a shot. And Anne is like, you have fun. I'm out. This was terrible. I'm like, okay. So Anne goes off and, and does some work. And I go get through a second uh, episode of it. And there was one moment in the second episode. I think it was episode two. Uh, a joke. For those of you who saw it, you know what I'm talking about when I say Spooderman. Spooderman. <laughs> That joke made me laugh. Nothing else did. I thought, Rob, when it started, it seemed like this was going to be like kind of a Harley Quinn, which is like bonkers, over the top, but hilarious. Right. This seemed to really be going for that same sort of vibe, but it just it just doesn't do it. And I, I just I found myself just shaking my head for most of it. It's like none of this is funny. Like none of this is entertaining. None of this that is good. Me so, out, man. I am so I I don't what like I don't know, Rob. Like you know me, I wasn't super stoked about it just because I saw the previews and it's like it could be interesting, but the previews didn't exactly get me stoked. But where's your anticipation level been for Modoc? Well, just, I just love the fact that they made this Modoc show, and if you're gonna do it, it seemed to me the perfect way to do it. So the idea that it's less than good. Is a bummer because I would think that this would be, I mean, you know what? I guess I shouldn't be that surprised because the potential was going to be either it was awesome or it wasn't. <laughs> it sounds like it 
wasn't. And the premise of it is the premise is great. So the premise is it's ridiculous, but it's Modoc. He's running aim. Okay. He's running aim. So all the beekeeper guys are all his staff and they're trying to take over the world. But because he's so bad at business, he's running aim into the ground financially. And they're running out of money. They get taken over by kind of a Google like company who takes them over and you know, Modoc is all upset about it. Plus, Modoc has a regular wife and a couple of kids, and his wife is leaving him. So he's trying to get back his company. He's trying to win back his family. The concept for Modoc in that sort of a setting as a comedy is a great setting. That sets it up. There's just no execution. It's just just not funny. It's unfortunate. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What did you guys think? Have you guys had a chance to check out MODOK? If so, maybe you found it hilarious. Listen, TV and film is subjective. Nothing is more subjective than comedy. So maybe you found it hilarious. I wish I did. I just thought it was terrible, despite the fact that I, you know, worship at the altar of Patton Oswalt. I think that dude is amazing, but I this one just didn't work for me. What did you guys think? Jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's do one more off the top, Rob, and that is this. You know, I've been saying for some time that obviously the goat of goats, all hail his name, is Daniel Day-Lewis. He's, he's the greatest actor of all time to me. There's not even a discussion. It's all subjective, of course, but to me, there's not even a discussion. Daniel Day-Lewis is the greatest actor of all time. There are some great actors today, but the one guy that I've seen out there that I have said I think has the potential because he's still quite young, but has the potential to be the next Daniel Day-Lewis is Timothy Chalamet, who's, of course, going to be starring in Dune at the end of this year, which we're all excited about. I think this dude has the potential to be that next Daniel Day-Lewis kind of guy. Whether he fills, lives up to that potential, we'll have to wait and see. Rob, we heard a little while ago that there were some rumblings that they were going to try to get another Willy Wonka movie going. I thought it sounded curious. Well, guess what? It looks like it's moved forward. Because Timothy Chalamet has signed up to play Willy Wonka in basically an origin story of Willy Wonka. The basic idea of it sounds like it's going to be looking at the early days of Willy Wonka and how he kind of formed his candy factory and, and all that kind of stuff, um, which sounds interesting enough. Now, I thought it was interesting that they were going to do the project. You add a Timothy Chalamet to this. Now, listen. Not only do I think Timothy Chalamet has that kind of potential, his management knows the course his career is on. He is he is on a trajectory right now to like within five, six, seven years, he is going to be the guy in Hollywood. Like he's got the trajectory right now to be, to take Leonardo DiCaprio or George Clooney or Denzel Washington. He's going to take that spot. At least that's his trajectory. And so his management's been you know, rather careful about what they're selecting for him to be in. Rob, listen, I know you weren't super stoked about the idea of a new Willy Wonka movie, but understanding that Chalamet and his management have looked at this and they seem to think this is something that I think would be good for my career. I think this is something I do well. I don't know. Personally, I find this kind of intriguing and pretty exciting because I, I love this guy. I love the choices. I love the projects he appears in. I don't know. What do you think about this whole move now? Timothy Chalamet is Willy Wonka. Well, again, okay, as long as the story is great and the character is well-drawn, I mean, Chalamet can obviously pull it off. The guy's an incredible actor. Uh, I think this is a tough nut to crack in terms of making a story that's 
truly interesting. But it sounds like if if like you just pointed out, if Chalamet's management has allowed him to be in this film, I would imagine the script is pretty strong. And in that case, maybe it's something I can get behind. I mean, look, I was not a big fan. I grew up with Gene Wilder playing Willy Wonka. I loved Roald Dahl's two Willy Wonka books. Right. Uh, and I'm I'm a huge fan of this whole idea. So, you know, I, I, I'm more critical of something like this than maybe other things. But, I mean, this is intriguing. I like this casting. As a young Willy Wonka, I think he can really pull it off. But I... I hope they go more the Gene Wilder Machiavellian direction than the daddy issue crazy person that Johnny Depp played in Tim Burton's version. So it really depends how they're going to go with it. But I'm in. Count me in. I I think you're right about that, about the fact that him signing up for this, I think, says something about what they think is in the story. Now, listen, you and I have both read scripts that look amazing but they just didn't translate well and they turned into terrible movies. So even if this script is as good as you and I think it must be for a Chalamet to sign up for it, that doesn't mean it won't still turn into a terrible movie. We've seen this happen a lot, but it's at least to me encouraging because Rob, to me, this is like, I don't know, say they decide to make a live action Beavis and Butthead movie. And I don't know anybody asking for a live action Beavis and Butthead movie, but it's like, that's coming around like, ha. And then two months later, they announced, By the way, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio signed up to star in it. Well, all of a sudden, we would look very differently at this upcoming Beavis and Butthead movie because these guys can do whatever they want. That's kind of how I feel about Chalamet on this. And by the way, Rampage Predacon sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Rampage. So it's that kind of a signing to me. So I think this sounds incredibly uh, intriguing. Guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Maybe, you know, you're not all that familiar with Timothy's acting work. Believe me, the guy's incredible. But does this do anything to change your anticipation level for an upcoming Willy Wonka project? Maybe it doesn't budge the needle at all. Maybe it makes you more excited. Maybe you're just not interested one bit. Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move into our main topics here today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? It's simple. You guys select our main topics. Anytime you guys come across a big topic, story, or issue that you think we should have as a main topic here on the show, go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Alan Renshaw, who writes... I saw an article that said Kevin Spacey has landed his first movie role since his scandal in 2017 that halted his career. He will star in Franco De Niro film titled The Man Who Drew God. I personally believe that he is a good actor and I hope he is able to bounce back. What do you think? All right. Thanks a lot for sending me uh, that, Alan. And yeah, kind of surprising. Yesterday, news comes across the wire that Kevin Spacey, by the way, the last movie I saw Kevin Spacey in, I think, was Baby Driver. I think that was the last on-screen yeah. movie I saw him in because then he was going to do that one with Mark Wahlberg. He was famously taken out of the film, and they put in Christopher Plummer, R.I.P., the great, great Christopher Plummer. 
who ended up getting an Academy Award nomination <laughs> for, for his role in that, as a matter of fact. And we haven't really heard anything since. Now, Spacey obviously has been, uh, had a cloud over him with uh, 20 plus allegations by young men, particularly in a theater company that he used to work with and, and other people as well for sexual misconduct. Now, it should be pointed out and it should be mentioned that Kevin Spacey, as of this moment, never once has been found guilty of anything in a court of law. It, that That's very, very important to point out. Uh, one one case that was brought was dismissed and thrown out by the prosecu- uh, by the district prosecutor because it had uh, surpassed the statute of limitations. Another lawsuit was thrown out because the accuser uh, had passed away. Another one was thrown out because the accuser wanted to bring the case against Kevin Spacey without revealing their identity. And obviously, in law, you can't really do that, so that was dismissed. Anyway. It doesn't look good for Spacey, but it needs to be said that in our society where, you know, you're innocent until proven guilty, no court of law has, not that he won't be found guilty of something in the future, but as of right now, it's important to point out that he has not been found guilty of any crimes to date. But obviously, there was enough stuff going around that people wanted to separate themselves from him. I get it. I understand that. I do. Like after all the allegations came out, would I jump jump in and create a peanut butter company with Kevin Spacey? Probably not. Uh, the dude's a tremendous actor. He's tremendously talented. And by the way, Mark Lemming sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, Mark. Um, so it is what it is. And he basically he got written out of his show House of Cards, which was one of the the most popular thing going on Netflix for a while. He got written out of that. He got taken out of his movie with Mark Wahlberg, and he essentially lost his career. So now news is coming that he's kind of back a little bit. He's going to be starring in an Italian film. Kevin Spacey seems to be attempting a comeback. This comes to us from the good folks over at Joe Blow. The actor has booked his first film role in years following the various sexual misconduct claims that have been made against him. ABC News is reporting that Spacey will appear in the Italian film The Man Who Drew God. The film is directed by Franco Nero and is also starring Nero's wife, Vanessa Redgraves, who I know you like very much, Rob. Uh, Nero said to ABC News, I'm very happy Kevin agreed to participate in my film. I consider him a great actor and I cannot wait to start the movie. All right. This is an interesting, if no other word is applicable here, Rob, this is an interesting scenario. And I'm I'm going to be honest with you. I am extremely torn on how to feel about it. I, I am. On the one hand, I very much believe I worked in law, so I very much believe uh, that while it is not flawless, I believe in the legal system, and I believe in our basic understandings of innocent until proven guilty, at least from a legal point of view. I also believe that, you know, uh, I believe in redemptive arcs. I believe in all that kind of stuff, and I guess when posed with the question of should a guy who has never actually been convicted of anything, um, have his career forever taken away from him because his career was taken from him, maybe rightfully so, but should it be a proverbial death sentence that there can never be a return if he's never been found guilty of anything? It's tough. Like on the one hand, I feel that way, but on the other hand, I also feel like, Man, like 
yeah, his one case was thrown out, but that's only because the statute of limitations had passed. And yes, another case was thrown out, but that's only because the guy bringing the case died. And yeah, another case got thrown out because, so I, and like, if I'm a producer today, do I put Kevin Spacey in one of my movies? No, I don't. I, I, I don't personally put Kevin Spacey, even though I think he's one of the best actors in the world today, I don't yeah. think I put him in one of my movies. That's not me saying I'm against anyone else putting him in one of those, in one of their movies if they want to, but I don't think that I do. And, and Rob, listen, I know everybody likes to draw a line in the sand and say, you got to take, it's black and white. You either got to take this side or this side. And I must confess, I feel a little torn. Would I put him in my movies? No. Am I offended that a filmmaker in Italy has decided that he wants to put him in one of his films? I'm not offended at that idea. I don't, but I still feel weird about it. I, I, listen, this is just me saying, I think it's a very complicated issue and I don't really have a hundred percent clear picture on where I stand with this. I was surprised to see the news, but I don't know, Rob, you see this. It is a complicated chainsaws we're trying to juggle here but what are your thoughts on this as you read that kevin spacey is going to be making his return to acting i you know i'm as torn about it as you are um i actually got to meet and and interact with kevin spacey for six weeks when we worked on uh, all of us were on superman returns i was the documentarian so i spent a lot of time around him and i witnessed some of his behavior and i I would say this. I think the problem that I think Kevin Spacey had in his life is he was closeted about who he was. And when you are that way, I think you overcompensate in certain situations because you're not allowed to be who you really are or you don't allow yourself to be who you really are. And I think he made some really bad decisions. And you couple that with the fact that he has a certain personality uh, that there's a lot of negativity in that personality. Let's say that. And yet, on the other hand, he's an incredibly talented artist. And it's I think it's a, a shame that we lost somebody like that because I think about like when he played Jack Vin- Vincennes in uh, L.A. Confidential or when he was in American Beauty or when he was Kaiser Soze or he was in Seven. You know, he's given us so many great performances. But the fact of the matter is, I think he's a person that needs to do a lot of work on himself. And um, uh, so he doesn't continue to repeat certain kinds of behaviors. And like you, I'd love to see him come back. But on the other hand, I'm not convinced that this kind of behavior has changed in him. I think there's it's inherent to his personality and maybe he's learned a lesson or something like I don't I don't believe that everybody should be pilloried for the rest of their life. You know, it's even our legal system. When you go to jail for crimes and you serve your time and you come out, you're supposed to be able to lead your life. You've paid your debt to society. But our culture is such now that if somebody does something wrong, even if they've been to prison for decades and they come out, we still want to brand them for the rest of their lives. And the whole point of our legal system is you if you serve your time, your debt to society is paid. That's what our idea is. But I just wonder if Kevin Spacey has really maybe paid his debt. And so it's hard for me to say. I don't think I would hire him. Yeah, I I, I just couldn't either. And, and it's so hard to say, has he paid his debt? Because I don't know what he's done. And again, I know right. I said it earlier, 
But this, it, it is completely germane that it must be mentioned. Kevin Spacey has never been found guilty of anything. Right. That doesn't mean I'm ignoring everything else. Like I said, I wouldn't hire him for my movies today. Rob, you just said you wouldn't hire him for yours. I just don't know how to feel about somebody else hiring him for theirs when, in the society we live in, he has never been found guilty of anything in a court of law. Everything has been accusations and everything, and serious accusations. And we don't, we as individual people, we don't ignore those, but we also shouldn't ignore the fact that he hasn't been found guilty. So that's why I feel a little bit torn about it. I am, listen, Rob, there was a couple of years there that I was really advocating for Kevin Spacey to become the new permanent host of the Oscars. Like I thought he was going to be, and by the way, Mandy's, uh, Mandy's Cabrales writes in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you. Um, I had advocated for a long time that, man, Kevin Spacey would be like the ultimate Oscar host. He sings, he dances, he's hilarious. He is a walking history guide of Hollywood history. Like, he knows everything about Hollywood history. He is a legit movie personality. Kevin Spacey should be the host of the Oscars, and I advocated that for a long time. Obviously, I feel differently about that now, but it is a complicated system where everybody loves to draw conclusions about what they read on the internet. Um... And, you know, we're all think that. So I, I'm surprised. I guess the question is for you guys. How do you feel about this? I mean, nobody's asking us to hire Kevin Spacey. How do we feel about somebody else hiring him in a world where he's been accused of a lot of stuff, but he hasn't actually been found guilty of anything yet? So I, I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I, I feel torn about it. I totally feel torn about it. Question is, how do you guys feel about this? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Camel438, who writes, there was a CNBC article stating that Discovery is trying to position itself to sell DC Comics to either Disney, Netflix, or Apple. By the way, that is not at all what it said in the CNBC article. Let's just be clear. That is not at all what is said in the CNBC article. Anyway, it's trying to sell it's it's, it's trying to sell DC Comics to either Disney, Netflix, or Apple after their merger with Warner Media. What do you think are the advantages and disadvantages of each company acquiring DC? Uh, which company would you prefer by DC? First time question asker. Love the show. Thank you so much for sending that in camel and yeah listen this is this kind of took off yesterday and i was like what the hell is going on so i start seeing flying all over the place i'm getting all these tweets from people and a lot of people messaging in um about john did you see that disney's gonna try to buy dc comics and i'm like where the hell did something like that come from and yeah you could see it on places like uh, we got this covered is on there and yes, on cosmic book news, DC, WB could be. And, and so people are reading this and thinking, Oh my God, Disney is trying to take over, you know, think they're not, they're not. Okay. So where is all this coming from? Here's where this is coming from. This is coming from a story that was indeed on CNBC, but people some people like Cosmic Book News and others took it and totally put a layer of a different layer of altered reality over top of it and turned it into a story when there's nothing there. So here's the thing. CNBC did write an article about a financial matter involved in the discovery takeover of Warner Media. AT&T is selling off 
Warner Media to Discovery. They're going to Discovery's going to merge in that that Warner Media thing. They're going to create a new company. All right. Here's what was in CNBC that got everybody all riled up. And it's a rather small thing buried in the article. John Malone agreed to turn uh, in those shares. Now, John Malone, by the way, so just to give a little bit of context, John Malone is a major shareholder in Discovery, but he's got these special kind of shares that gives him increased voting rights when it comes to votes pertaining to the direction of Discovery and the company, right? So they're like these ultra shares, if you will. That gives him, like, even though he doesn't own 25% of the shares of Discovery, he has over 25% of the voting rights when it comes to Discovery, okay? I know that sounds a little confusing, but just John Malone guy has got a lot of the shares and a lot of uh, a lot of the voting rights, even though he doesn't have tons of the shares. But Malone agreed to turn in those shares for common equity, just regular shares, because he wanted to give a combined Warner Discovery flexibility to possibly sell itself in the future. Most likely to deep pocketed technology companies like Amazon or Apple or another media behemoth like Disney, according to a person familiar with the matter. Okay, listen, this is exactly what is being said here. This <laughs> guy who holds a disproportionate amount of voting power in the shares, that makes the company a little bit less attractive and it makes the company less flexible because it means too much power in this overall own company is centered in one guy. This guy has agreed to turn in those shares for more equity shares. So he's actually going to make money out of this. All right. By turning, because he only owns 5% of the shares, he's now going to have an increased amount of shares that he uh, that he owns, but less voting rights than he currently did. He swapped out one set of shares for another. Now, one of the reasons buried in this CNBC article is because one of the things that this does is it makes the new company more flexible that possibly, you know, in the future, if they wanted to sell off, it makes it a much more attractive acquisition later on because you don't have this big possible problem with one person having so much of the voting uh, leverage in a company. That's all it said. And then it said, you know, if it were to sell, because, you know, Rob, anything like this to sell would probably sell for the 60 to $70 billion range. All right. 60 to $70 billion is what this combined company may sell for in the future. So they would want to make sure that's all cleared out. So with that guy not having those shares, the company is going to be easier to run. It makes the company far more flexible. And in the future, as CNBC uses the word possibly, they could possibly sell it future uh, if they want to. Somehow, Rob, certain outlets took that information and spun it into, and I have no idea how we got to this, DC Comics is up for sale and Disney is looking to buy DC Comics. That is completely untrue. That is completely untrue. That is that is not the case. That's not happening. First of all, uh, and some people are saying, oh, yeah, DC is going to sell. Warner Media is going to sell off DC before uh, before Discovery acquires them. You can't legally do that. Now that you've drafted a purchase agreement, you can't start selling off your assets before the buyer comes in and buys it. So, number one, that can't even happen. Number two, here's the thing. Some people are saying now running around, it's like, well, but now Disney can buy them. I guarantee you Disney is not going to be buying this new Discover Warner Media. <laughs> I gar- and, and there's three reasons why, Rob. There's three reasons why. I should open up the Campia classroom, but I don't have it open right now. But there's three reasons why there is no damn chance that Disney is about to buy uh, Warner Media. Uh, number one, 
Discovery is putting this deal together because they believe that each of these pieces of this puzzle, the Warner Media pieces and the Discovery pieces, are going to make a formidable online streaming presence to that will compete, they believe, with the likes of Netflix and Disney Plus and all that kind of stuff. They're putting this thing together to make a big, successful company, even though all companies will be open to the idea, like in the future, yeah, maybe we want to sell it off where we can get huge profits and stuff like that. But that's a separate thing. They're putting this thing together to make a winning team. Reason number two that you're not going to see Disney acquire Warner Media is the fact that we everybody has seemed to have forgotten that Disney is still and will be for the next decade, Rob, recovering from and recouping not only from the COVID pandemic crisis, but everybody forgets they just spent $73 billion, half <laughs> of their net worth, Rob, half of their net worth, Disney spent to buy Fox. They're in no position right now to make a massive capital acquisition like like another 50 to 60 to $70 billion. They just don't have the room for it. Not to mention they're just coming off of the pandemic. So there are, look, they're in decent shape, but they're in no position to make another $60 million acquisition. Uh, so there's that. But the third reason that this will never would never happen is because I don't care if the current government is Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. There is no way in hell the government would approve that merger. Because it's one thing for a discovery to merge in with the Warner Media. It's one thing for Paramount to absorb some smaller company. They are there is no way the government uh, advisor, um, uh, the government government board on this would ever sign off on Disney and Warner merging. These are just too big of the two biggest powerhouses in the industry. They would definitely rule that as being monopolistic, and there's no way it would be approved. So number one. Discovery is not looking to sell Warner Media. They got it to make a winning team. They want to have flexibility. Maybe they sell in the future, but for now, that's not the plan. Number two, Disney is not in the financial position to do this. Number one, because of COVID, but number two, they are still dealing with the fact that they spent $73 billion to buy Fox and everybody just thinks Disney has limitless money. They don't. But number three, even if by some weird thing, a magic fairy leprechaun came to Bob Chapek in his sleep and crapped out $70 billion of leprechaun gold onto his bed that he could then use to buy Discovery Warner, the government no way in hell would approve such a merger because it's just too monopolistic. So, no, DC Comics is not for sale to Disney. No, Disney is not being positioned to buy Warner Media right now. No. So yeah, you can just take all that and throw it away. I only bring it up because I got so many messages from people asking about it, but it is not what is happening. So you can just put that to bed. Rob, that doesn't mean it's impossible that somewhere down the line, an Amazon who has literally 10 times the money that Disney does, that Amazon may not say, hey, we'll make you an offer for overpriced. We'll make you an offer for 80 billion or something Along those lines, maybe that happens in a few years after Discovery Warner gets on its feet and really starts operating and succeeding because, Rob, all these people at Discovery do is succeed. Everything they've ever done just succeeds. And I have no reason to believe that they won't do the same thing with Warner Media under their belts. But uh, as of right now, all this talk you see going around that Disney's getting ready to buy Warner Media, DC Comics is for sale. It's all bullshit. Just ignore it. Anyway, Rob, you saw this story. What's the first stuff that comes to your mind? Well, I mean, you you laid out the business reasons why something like this isn't going to happen but so 
you know, you <laughs> a company's not going to sell uh, the underlying IP rights to a giant library of material, whether it's animated, whether it's do you think Warner Brothers is going to give up everything from Batman, the animated series to Superman, the movie to Christopher Nolan's Batman film? Like, uh, no. Why would they do that? <laughs> That's like it's a it's a it's a crown jewel in 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 their catalog of material. And it's one of the things that 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 gives Warner Brothers value forever. And there's no way that some com company is going to let that go. And it makes no sense at all. And I, I, I don't I don't see why anybody would think that's true. Yeah, I mean, can, can you imagine this is what's being proposed, that Discovery just spent 43 or is about to spend $43 billion to buy Warner Media. Oh, but not their most valuable asset. Not, uh, I mean, not, not the library and not the, 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 uh, future treading, you know, IP that is all of DC's stuff. There's, it's just, no, it just makes no sense. No, I mean, and look at what they've even got in production. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's an odd, it's an odd thing to say. I mean, I get it. I, I really do get tired of a lot of these sites that literally make up, they conjure up. Uh, stories out of thin air, hoping that one in out of a hundred will trend. And I understand they get, they get to, to, they get clickbait and all that, but it really, I, I find disinformation of this kind rather distasteful. Well, there is that. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about all that? You see these things running rampant around. Uh, it's, it's not true at all. Anyway, guys, question is, what did you think about it? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts okay guys with that down let's move on to main topic number three and our third main topic today gets submitted to us by rex the tex who writes hey john and rob okay we all know the whole thing with warner brothers putting their movies on hbo at the same time as the movie theaters turned out to be a complete disaster but it looks like it was worse than we thought there is a story in Variety that says the move was one of the big reasons AT&T decided to get rid of Warner. How big was this, and will the sale fix those burnt bridges? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Rex. And yes, of course, the big news in the entertainment world, I mean, other than the fact of, you know, Discovery being the player in it, the last week or so has been that AT&T, which only purchased Warner Media a couple of years ago, Rob, is selling off Warner Media. They don't want to be in the entertainment game anymore and all that kind of stuff. Now, one of the other big stories of the past number of months has been Warner Brothers' decision to take all their 2021 movies and release them day and date on HBO Max the same time they come out in theaters. A move that was slaughtered by filmmakers, their partners, Hollywood insiders, everybody hated the move that they did. And basically, they burnt their bridges with their top highest profile talent. Christopher Nolan slaughtered them in a thing that he wrote. Denis Villeneuve wrote an opt-in piece, I believe it was for Variety, just desecrating the decision and how much he hated them for what they're doing and all this kind of stuff. Guys like James Gunn and other filmmakers have come out and said, yeah, this company's basically dead to me now. This company's dead to me now. Well, it turns out 
that according to some sources and reports, that had something to do with the fact that AT&T decided to sell off Warner Media. Now, this comes to us from CBR, who, who, who's quoting Variety and writes, Variety explains, industry sources say that the strategic move that made such a splash last December when Warner, Media's, uh, Warner Media at Kalar's direction, of course, that's Jason Kalar, who is the current CEO of Warner Media, opted for a simultaneous release in theaters and on HBO Max for Warner Brothers 2021 movie slate is seen as a major misstep because it is shaping up to cost the studio over $1 billion in lost revenue, talent, profit, participation payments, and in high license fees paid for the movies from HBO Max. Unless the pace of HBO subscriber additions picks up significantly in the coming months, the high cost of the movie content for the streamer will be hard to justify. All right. So basically what they're saying here is, is this. That whole move was a big mistake. And Rob, listen, you got to understand that. I think people need to understand that a deal worth $43 billion is not something that gets proposed and then executed in a week. Obviously, the discovery people and the AT&T people have probably been talking for a period of time and formulating uh, an idea. What if we took Warner Media off your hands? You know, they've obviously been talking about this for a long time. The discussions maybe even predate the decision by Jason Kalar to put Warner movies on HBO Max the same day they come into theaters. But Rob, all the other pundits out there and you and I all know people at Warner Brothers and we've all heard the same thing. Nobody wants to work with us anymore. Like that the temperature in talent relationships, we're talking writers, directors, producers, actors, things like that. The atmosphere surrounding their talent relations has gone sour ever since that announcement was made. And it was seen, now what I've been told is, the company at AT&T, whereas they thought getting into the entertainment business, owning Warner Media, this is going to be great, having all the highest profile filmmakers out there bashing your company was seen as embarrassing and something that they just weren't happy with at all. Was that move the exclusive reason why AT&T decided to part ways with Warner Media? No, I, I probably not at all. Right. I mean, they just weren't getting the financial returns. They were getting offered $43 billion. Their shareholders were going to get shares, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of different reasons. But do I believe this report that the incredible backlash from talent and everything over the decision to put movies on HBO Max day and date had something to do with it? Oh, hell yes, I believe this report. I absolutely believe this had something to do with it. This thing, nothing disillusioned the shareholders at AT&T more about becoming owners in Warner Media than that whole backlash. It was embarrassing. And the people of Warner Brothers were embarrassed and they still haven't gotten over it. So the reason, probably not. A reason, I believe so. Anyway, Rob, you see this report. What do you make out of it? Well, you know, <laughs> there's not ever just one reason things like this happen. But I think overall, uh, Warner Media the was not it wasn't, say, as successful as they wanted it to be. And I think a lot of it had to do with the time that it happened. I mean, the pandemic obviously threw a wrench in everything. And then you had everybody jockeying for position. 
you know, you had somebody like Toby Emmerich who suddenly has been working on his career. He's produced over a hundred movies. He's written a film in frequency. He's working his way up. He's running the studio basically. And then suddenly people come in to usurp his position. So there had to be a lot of game of Thrones esque backbiting and jockeying for maneuvering for power. And it was his idea from what I understand to, he presented the idea to Warner media saying, let's do this day and date kind of release strategy. And while I think at first it might've seemed uh, a reasonable idea, um, I don't think it really worked out as well. I mean, you know, Godzilla versus Kong did good, but maybe it would have done better. Maybe these other films would have done who, who's to say. So I just think that it was an, a failed experiment. AT&T realized they already had a huge debt load before they picked up Warner Media, and they were just not making the kind of money they wanted to. In fact, I'm sure they were hemorrhaging money. And they, they, you know, people that have technology companies are dealing with reality. Like we have this many cell phone towers. We have this. We sell this many phone, you know, subscriptions. They they deal with tangible things that they can look at on a spreadsheet and understand where money comes, where money goes and how much things cost. But the entertainment business isn't quite like that. There's a lot of intangibles in terms of what you're going to make for this. And you can't really pinpoint. It's, it's very risky. And for a company that probably isn't used to dealing with that kind of, everybody thinks they want to get involved in the movie business until they actually have to make and distribute movies. And then it's a very different thing. And I think that's what happened here. I think that AT&T, they, they saw that we, we don't know what, we don't know how to manage this kind of a business. We got to get out while, while we can. And I think that's what happened. And what you did was you had another company that is an entertainment company that creates in discovery. We create content. We put it out. If the content is good, it's successful. We know exactly what we're doing. So it made sense to combine these. They're complementary companies. And I think it works out a lot better than a, than a company like AT&T, which doesn't know anything about the entertainment business, that thought, well, we're building the infrastructure to send content everywhere. So why not, why not control the content as well? But that's like – that doesn't make any really sense when you start to think about it. So it was not a very good fit. Right. Now, some moron in the live chat is writing, uh, why doesn't John give this? Uh, Disney does the same thing, too. Why doesn't John give the same energy to Disney? Well, because, idiot, I spent like two or three full videos bashing on Disney last week about all the moves Bob Chapek has been making. So if you're going to be ignorant, educate yourself a little bit first. Uh, on top of all that, Disney is not doing the same thing that Warner Brothers did. Warner Brothers carte blanche put out a flat thing that said all of our movies, 2021 movies, yeah. every single release we have, we're going to put straight to day and date, which number one, they did not consult with the filmmakers about. They, the, most of the filmmakers found out their movies, which they made under the understanding that it was going to get a theatrical release and had bonus money attached to that without being informed. They found out later through the news they found out through the news that their films were being thing. Legendary pictures, the financers of Godzilla versus Kong, the people who put up the money to make legendary. They didn't know until the day of the announcement. And so their potential money got pulled out from under them. What Disney has done, which I also don't like, and I've said very publicly that I don't like, Disney is 
cherry-picking a couple of projects to experiment with day and day's release with. Normally, movies that don't turn out to be very good. We saw what happened with Mulan. We saw what happened with, uh, what was the, the the kid's book that Kenneth Branagh directed? Um, Artemis Fowl. Uh, Artemis right. Fowl turned out Been crap. Around. All that yeah. kind of stuff, you know, turned out crap, things like that. So it's a, but Disney also, we found out from the directors being interviewed, the directors were consulted months in advance. The companies were consulted months in advance. They didn't surprise anybody. They didn't pull a thief in the night, kind of sneak behind people's backs and announce to the world, we're putting your movie on TV, even though that's not what you agreed to do. So no, moron. Uh, it is not the same thing. And yes, moron, I have given Disney a hell of a lot of grief. Actually, I spent a lot of my week last week trying to propel all these people who are now insistent I'm just a big giant Disney hater that I'm just out to get Disney and I hate Disney and I'm just a Disney hater. And I had to spend most of my week last week kind of fighting those people off. It's funny. I always get accused of being a Disney shill for my love of the MCU. Dude, it depends on the day, right? Like if I'm talking about man of steel, all these people write in and say I'm on Warner brothers payroll. If I talk about Avengers, I get all these people write in and say I'm on Disney's payroll. So like everybody is just completely stupid and nobody just understands, Oh, you can like some things and not like it. But listen, just because I love Warner brothers, doesn't mean I'm not going to de- de- like, um, criticize when I think that they're doing something stupid. Just because I love Disney doesn't mean I'm not going to criticize them like I did heavily last week when I don't think they're doing something stupid. That's my job. My job is to just call it as I see it. And yeah, so yes, uh, they are two very, very different things. They are two very, di- the Disney situation, which is bad enough, is a very different situation from what Warner Media did uh, for a lot of different reasons. Now, look, they're now saying, Warner Media, that come 2022, it's back to business as usual. Discovery has already said that they are committed to the theatrical experience. So we'll see what happens with that. But, Rob, one of the big things that always confused me, too, is that, you know, if you had put Godzilla versus Kong in theaters exclusively, number one, it probably would have made a couple hundred million dollars more. Mm-hmm. But number two, then once you did launch it on HBO Max a month and a half, two months later, it would have had a much bigger impact with its arrival on HBO Max because now everybody knows about Godzilla versus Kong. It had this big theatrical run and made all this money. People are excited. And then it comes to HBO Max and people get excited about signing up and watching on HBO Max. Instead, what they found is they put a day and date up on HBO Max. And what was it? 2.1 million people watched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, something like that something like that whereas if it had had a full theatrical run and then you dropped on hbo max day one on hbo max i guarantee to you would have had 50 percent more it would have had 3.5 4 4.5 million viewers probably when it first launched and that's what the people at warner brothers are starting to figure out and so it's it's a wild wild thing here rob they say that come 2022 this whole thing that has caused them so many problems with AT&T, caused them so many problems with the talent relations. They're saying that come 2022, they're going back to business as usual. Do you believe that? I, you know, okay. I think that what we're seeing now is places are really managing, they're they're really getting management of this COVID uh, epidemic down. Obviously, California, we've seen our our deaths and infection rates drop precipitously. I do think that by 2022, things are going to get more or less back to normal. Um, I don't know if we're going to still be social distancing in theaters at that time. 
I think as more and more people get vaccinated, maybe not. It was weird because we've been now, John, I've seen two movies in the last week. One was with you. One was on my own. And obviously the theaters were certainly not full. But when you see movies like Godzilla versus Kong grossing $400 million worldwide, you're on the way, you're, you're heading back to norm, norm, normalcy. And I, I, I think we will eventually, I mean, hell, they even came out of the Spanish flu. It took them, what, two and a half years, but eventually the world emerged from it. And I think we are going to get back to normal. And I think by 2022, business as usual will be pretty much, you know, back in, um, back in the swing of things, assuming that there's no crazy variant, you know, that comes out and reignites the pandemic. But, um, yeah, I, I do. I, I, I think that, I think we're going to come out of it. Long story short. Yes. Yes, I do, John, to answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you make of this whole thing? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four. And oh, Rob, if there was ever, if if you had to pick one story that is that, it, that was coming into being to justify me having this show at all. It is this story. Gosh, you know, when I first heard this, let me just preface this, John, by saying I, I was imagining you busting out those dance moves you told us about that we haven't ever seen because the videotapes have never been shown. But I, I just want to imagine that you were dancing around your house. Oh, I'm excited just thinking about it that we're going to talk about it right now. Let's let's get into the topic here. This one comes into us from our friend Pelican Mike, who writes in. This is the most John Campion news story I've ever heard since FX developing a Shogun series. Henry Cavill will star in the reboot of The Highlander. This project has been in development for so long with several actors and directors attached, including Ryan Reynolds, for a number of years, by the way, Ryan Reynolds was attached to this. But there can be only one. There, not, you accidentally wrote there can only be one. The saying is actually there can be only one. Anyway, there can be only one, and that man is Superman himself. John, the floor is yours. What are your thoughts? Okay, let me preface this with a couple of things here that you got to understand. Number one, I'm a big Henry Cavill. I've got a bro crush on this dude. Like, like I just love Henry Cavill. I've liked him ever since I saw him in The Tudors. I thought he was terrific in that. And then he had become my favorite Superman of all time. Henry Cavill's, I got, I got my Henry Cavill. You can just see a bit of him right here, but I got my Henry Cavill sta standing over here overseeing the thing. He's my favorite Superman of all time. I loved him in The Witcher. I loved him in uh, The Man from Uncle. I just like what this guy does. I just think he's a terrific performer. I love seeing him on screen, um, all that kind of stuff. So I got a bit of a bro crush on Henry Cavill. I, I admit that I do. But the second thing you got to understand for points of context, Rob, is that I, in my top 10 list of my all-time favorite movies, not everybody has my same top 10, but when I list off my top 10, everybody goes, oh yeah, that one's great. Yeah, that one's great. But the one that always surprises people when I mentioned it in my top 10 is the original Christopher Lambert, Sean Connery film, uh, Clancy Brown classic, The Highlander. It is in my top 10 all-time favorite movies. You know, it's better to burn out than to fade away. I love this movie. You're standing on holy ground, Rob. Highlander is a movie I love. I love passionately. Now, recently, uh, Stileski, one of the directors of John Wick, 
came on board and he, for about three or four years ago, he said he was come on board. He was going to direct a reboot. Okay. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Well, something happened now. Henry Cavill is going to star and my mind is losing it. My mind is completely losing it. I got one of my favorite movie stars appearing in one of my favorite properties. Now, listen, I didn't like anything else with the Highlander. All the other Highlander movies completely sucked ass. I I, I appreciated the TV series with uh, it wasn't Connor McLeod, but they made a Duncan McLeod, his cousin with uh, I forget the actor's name, something Paul. I can't remember his name, but something Paul was the actor who played Duncan McLeod. And, um, you know, all I, I, so that's fine. But that first Highlander movie has always, always had such a special place in my heart, whether it's the, the, the queen soundtrack, just the mythology of it. It was one of just the most creative things that I ever seen when I was a kid and I'm watching this thing and I was enamored with it. The whole idea, Rob, of this race of immortals that are destined to battle and fight throughout the ages until there is only one left who will then receive the prize that they don't even know what it is. All they know is that inherently they will feel a, a natural instinctive draw to a place far away at some point in history where all the immortals in the world will come together and they're going to fight until there is only one. There can be only one. This whole mythology of it is so incredible. You take that, you add one of my favorite movie stars. Dude, I found this out Friday after we finished the John Campion show and I was just like, Beside, if I didn't have things I had to run and do, I just would have done a special live video talking about this. I am beside myself with excitement. Number one, just that the Highlander reboot is keep moving. I love the director who's attached, but now you're putting in Henry Cavill. Anyway, this comes to us from the folks uh, over. Uh, with, uh, Henry Cavill was doing an interview and he talked about this. He said the following. I've been a fan of Highlander. He put this up on his social media. I've been a fan of the Highlander series since I was a lad, says uh, Henry Cavill. From the movies and all of their 80s queen slathered glory to the TV show with an actor who looked remarkably like one of my brothers being sh being not shy uh, with swords and having a director as talented as Chad Stolisky at the helm. This is an opportunity like no other. Deep dive into franchise storytelling with all of the tools at our disposal is going to make this an adventure I and hopefully all of you shall never forget and that of course comes to us from Henry Cavill Rob we have known from you know finding out he got to play Superman while he was playing World of Warcraft to that computer building video that he put up a few months ago that completely broke the internet uh, with him just building his own gaming computer. We know this guy is a geek at heart. We know Cavill is a total geek at heart. I didn't know he shared my love of the Highlander. <laughs> and to have Kal-El, Superman himself, playing... I, I'm going to assume he's going to be playing the Connor McCloud version. There's not a lot of details out there. For all we know, maybe he's playing a Duncan McCloud. Maybe they're doing something different. But I, for now, I'm just going to assume they're just kind of rebooting the story. It's going to be He's going to play Connor McCloud. I am, I am beside myself. That brings up a couple of big questions for me. Number one, who you, who do you cast as Ramirez, the character played by Sean Connery? 
Uh, who do you get to come in and play that? That's going to be interesting. Number two, who do you get to play the Kurgan? Because that one, Kurgan, played by the great Clancy Brown, that is a tough one to recast. Uh, I would propose even tougher to recast than the Sean Connery's Ramirez. I think a lot of guys you could bring in to play Ramirez and maybe play them really well. Maybe a Pedro Pascal or something like that. I don't know, but Whatever. Henry Cavill's in the Highlander, Rob. It's a damn good day. Anyway, Rob, you saw this. What do you think? Well, you know, I mean, I think it's funny. I recently rewatched Highlander and it's still a, it's a very fun movie. I mean, it's very eighties and I, I, it's all, it's, I really like watching it. And, you know, there's a lot of elements to it that make it unique. One of course being the queen score and the, the music video aesthetic that only could have come out of the mid eighties when it, it was, it was made. And I'm curious, you know, are, would they, it, it's very much a product of its time. And yes, it I is wonder, very much. You yes. know, if they play it, if they play it straight, straighter, meaning when I say straight, I, I, I mean, less music video, more traditionally sweeping fantasy epic wise. I don't know how that's going to work. And I'm very curious to see what their approach is, because if they take like a game of Thrones approach or a Lord of the Rings approach or something, I mean, I think they're going to need to have those collisions of, you know, the transitions between one era to another in Highlander were so well done. They're so fun. Yes, they were. The, yeah. They're, it, it's just, it, it, it was a heightened sense of reality, but I mean, would they use a pop music store score? Like, would they get a modern band to come in and score the movie? I hope not. I mean, I, I, I mean, again, but if they just make it a tr traditional fantasy story, would it be as fun? I mean, I really think whoever makes this movie has their work cut out for them because there's a number of different ways to go with it. And I'm just curious to see which way they're going to go. Either way, I think, you know what? If Warner Brothers isn't going to put Henry Cavill back as Superman anytime soon, Lionsgate's like, well, we know what we'll do with him. So <laughs> there you go. By the way, I was just bringing up who do you get to play uh, Ramirez, right? Uh, and I mentioned Pedro Pascal. The thing is, Pedro Pascal might be a little bit young for that role. Uh, Trajanus in the live chat put out a perfect name. Antonio Banderas. Dude, I was thinking that too. I'm like, yeah. Antonio Banderas could totally do that role. I I'm all I'm there for it. I'm totally down for that. Oh, and Rick Elder just put in the live chat as well for Kurgan. What about a Dave Batista? Yeah. As Kurgan. That that's a that's a good that'd be a great role for Dave. For that. That would be fantastic for anyway. I I don't know if you can tell, but I'm pretty damn happy and excited about this. Henry Cavill, our Kal-El playing the Highlander. I love it. Guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? I'm betting a lot of you guys have never even had the chance to watch the original Highlander. I mean, it's, it's an older one. I saw it when I was just a kid originally. Probably a lot of you haven't even seen it. Anyway, if you have, what do you think about the addition of Henry Cavill? Are you as geeked out about it as me? Do you not really care? I don't know. What do you guys think about it? Jump into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's do one more main topic here today. And I would make it an off the top, except it is, it's just too important. So we're going to make it a main topic here. No question was written in about this, but it is this. Rob, of course, 
ranked very high in a lot of people's lists. And I know for you, I think it's your number one upcoming comic book movie that you are most excited about. Indeed it is. Is Eternals. Now, of course, um, our look at the Eternals and our outlook of Eternals took a fundamental shift as well recently when Chloe Zhao, the director of Nomadland, won the Asterix Academy Award for Best Director at this year's uh, Academy Awards Asterix. Uh, And her film, Nomadland, won Best Picture Asterix at those Academy Awards. So you got Chloe Zhao, who is now the reigning director of the year, with who just directed the reigning Best Picture of the year, now directing, coming up in just a couple of months, a Marvel film, Eternal. So that's gotten a lot of people excited. Now, in a big Disney promo video they put out the other day about the return to cinemas, they featured a few seconds of footage from Eternals, and that was kind of our first look. But now, this morning, they've released what they're calling a teaser. It is over two minutes long, but still, they're calling a teaser our first teaser of the Eternals. And Rob, I got to say, I thought it was pretty, for a very first teaser, it was pretty much bang on the money perfect. understanding it's a first teaser. They're not meant to give us the plot. They're not meant to show us a bunch of the money shots. It's a first, here's your first, just little taste about what it is we have coming. And it shows them Rob throughout spanning the different eras. It shows them coming to earth during, you know, the earlier days of mankind walking the earth. We hear that their philosophy, we will be here. We have helped guide them a little bit, but we have never interfered. We have never interfered. So basically, they're giving us a setup. These beings came to Earth thousands of years ago. They have watched our civilizations you know, grow and develop to the point where they're now. They have always taken the hands-off approach. We're never going to interfere with what they got going on, blah, blah, blah. But then they give us a tease, and they say, until now. So clearly, not Thanos. That wasn't enough for them to decide that it was time for them to interfere. So something pretty damn significant is about to happen that have made now the Eternals decide that now we have to get involved. Rob, they showed us that one of the key parts of this is going to be the century-spanning romance between Icarus and Cersei being played by uh, John, uh, not John Snow, Rob Snow and uh, and Gemma Chan. I always forget, what's the name of the actor who played uh, Rob Snow again? I keep forgetting Richard, his name. Richard Madden. Richard Rob, Madden. Rob, Rob Stark. Rob Stark. Sorry, I said John Snow, Snow's didn't I? John Snow, too, Rob Stark. But John Snow's also in there. Um, between Richard Madden and Gemma Chan, obviously showed them through the eras and their romance and their love. We got a little bit more of a taste of a few of the things. And then I thought they had this great little tag on the end because many of these Marvel trailers will have a little tag at the end. And their little tag at the end, you know, having them going. So now that Captain Rogers knows that they didn't say Captain America. Now that Captain Rogers and uh, Iron Man are gone, who's going to lead the Avengers? The one guy says, I could lead them and everybody laughs. That was a great little thing to add because it did two very important things. Number one, we have started noticing ever since WandaVision, that one episode in WandaVision, where Kevin Feige likes to put in the fact that, hey, guys, we know what you're talking about, audience. We know what you're asking yourselves and what questions you're asking. Remember they did that whole thing in WandaVision where it's like they just asked all the questions that we as the audience are asking. They addressed all those things. And so one of the big things in lines that everybody's talking about lately is who's going to be leading the Avengers? And it's like they put that in there. So I thought that was a cute little thing because it just shows, again, we're aware of all the questions everybody at home are asking. Um, it also was, if you watch this trailer, 
there would be no reason to assume that this was a part of the MCU. There is nothing in this trailer that remotely suggests it's in the MCU. And so that little tag at the end, just like, hey, so anybody who's not, who doesn't know about the MCU and isn't already fully invested in the MCU, um, just so you know, it's a little reminder, this is in the MCU. So I thought it was a cute little tag to put at the end for a first trailer. Is this one of the greatest trailers I've ever seen? No. But as a first little teaser to give us our first little taste that's setting us up for the first official trailer that'll be coming probably in about three weeks, I thought it did its job pretty well. And Rob, it was neat seeing that whole scope. I know you said you were excited about seeing them spanning the centuries and yeah. all that kind of stuff. I really liked what I saw so far understanding that it's just a quick little teaser. I liked what I saw. What did you think about it when you took a look at it? Oh, man. You know, obviously, this is a big one for me uh, as a fan of Kirby original and uh, the, the the various iterations of this over the last last two decades. I wanted, you know, I wanted to see what they were going to do. What is the tone of this movie going to be? What is the feel going to be? And from that opening scene, like in Mesopotamia, where you see the giant, the, the eternal ship, very Eric Von Donegan, chariots of the gods kind of a thing. Um, I really loved it. I mean, I, I think that the direction they're going, and I'll tell you, you know, they had talked about, Feige had talked about that there wasn't a lot of green screen, that Chloe Zhao had wanted to shoot on real locations. And it looks beautiful. And it's it's funny because there's there's very little visual effects work in terms of like green screen. It looks like they're shooting on real locations, and I think that really serves this movie well. And again, I I would assume the main conflict is with the Deviants versus the uh, the Eternals, like in the comics. But they didn't make it look like your typical comic book film, and I that's exactly what I wanted. And you know, it's interesting, John. I think we're in the midst sort of of this Marvel backlash a little bit. You know, that that everyone after the ending of the Infinity Saga, that people like, oh, I can't get excited about these movies. But I'm like, I'm excited about them because they are, in fact, doing something different. That the Eternals is setting up a, a, a wider mythology. I'm sure we're going to see the Celestials in there. We've got, obviously, thousands of years of time being covered over. The Eternals, why didn't they get involved with the Avengers? Because they don't do that. You know, they didn't fight the Chitauri invasion, and they didn't fight Thanos because they don't do that. Uh, I, I loved all that, and I think it's going to be really, really interesting, and I think there's going to be a lot of great world building, and I'm I'm there for it, John. Yeah, listen, you and I both said, after Endgame, we both said a little while afterwards, listen, there is coming a period of time when people are going to feel, like people, the audience is going to need to get recharged up again over the MCU. Because they've built up for over a decade to a big crescendo in Endgame. And after that happens, it's just natural that you're just going to come down off right. that high. And they're going to, we said for a long time, they're going to have to rebuild. And as a result, there's been a little bit of backlash. And obviously, I'm already seeing the comments from a lot of people who just want to see titties and explosions that, oh, that looked boring. I, I thought it looked like. <laughs> Man, you got an Oscar-winning filmmaker who's actually going to tell a, 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 a century-scaling epic story, it, and it's just a, and it's just the teaser. So they didn't show us the enemy. They didn't show us who is this adversary going to be. They didn't show us any of the action or anything like that. But you're right, Rob. I mean, it's we're in this period of time right now that even though WandaVision's off to a great start and, and Falcon the Winter Soldier, the reality is those were TV shows and they were Disney Plus. Now we're talking about the big show. We're talking about the big theatrical movies coming. And the MCU is going to have to do some work to re-energizing that fan base. Can it do it? 
that's going to be the big question. We've got a couple things coming up here. We got obviously Black Widow. We've got the Spider-Man movie. We've got Eternals. But I thought this looked for a first trailer. Now, listen, maybe I'll feel I'll feel differently after we see the first legit official trailer where they give us more about, okay, now here's the plot of the movie. Here's who the adversary is. This is who the villain is. We get a bit better of a picture. Maybe then I won't be as excited. But I thought this was a pretty solid teaser. By the way, a couple of shots that I absolutely love that I just want to touch on here. First of all, let's just talk about the official poster here. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, it is. I think it's a really, in, in an age when posters are usually just giant floating heads, them using, like, they just set a, a feel. They set an atmosphere for this. The silhouettes of the characters, the sunrise, their their ship in the background. And I love the little tagline in it, Rob, in the beginning. I love that. That little line right above Eternal says, in the beginning. And I think that's a great little tagline. But a couple of the other images that I love from this, Kumail Nagiani doing the the Bollywood dancing in it. First of all, how great does this dude look? How great does Kumail look? He looks fantastic. And seeing him doing like the uh, the cultural dance thing, love it. I'm dying to see this movie just for that scene. Well, I you know also John, the use of the Skeeter Davis song, "The End of the World." Yes, yes. In this, I mean, from the early '60s. Uh, going with that kind of feel, I'm like, well, that's interesting. It looks like, you know, the beginning of the world when the Eternals arrive, you know, with early man or whatever. And then they, the incongruity of this song. And it's this, I, I, I thought, what a great choice. I mean, that was a really interesting marketing decision. And to use that song in the trailer was about the last thing that I expected to see them do. And they're, like you said, they're coming out Think this movie is going to be quite surprising. I've heard there's rumblings that this movie might have its early, early debut at the 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 2021 uh, Cannes Film Festival. That's what I heard. Yeah, that would be insane. <laughs> I I would be down for it. By the way, but there's another image, Rob, that I don't know why, but I got chills. I got chills when I saw it. Are they uh, multiplying? Well, when they start, uh, I don't know the name. I can't remember the name of the character. He looks like. Uh, uh, he looks like the dude who plays the Flash. But what's uh, the woman choker? What's his name again? Um, I'm freezing Frank. it. Frank what's Gust? that? No, no, Frank. no, 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 no. The the movie version. The movie uh, version of the Flash. I'm freezing on his. Why am I freezing on his name? The guy who likes to choke women for fun. Yeah. Now you're. Uh, now I'm for, now I'm freezing on his name. Um, who, Ezra Miller. Thank you. Yeah, I, yeah. Why did I freeze on Ezra's name? Anyway, the the one guy who looks a lot like Ezra Miller, but. They do this thing where he starts, they start like floating and levitating off the ground, like enveloped in this like gold power kind of thing. I don't know. I was watching that. I'm like, oh, this is like giving and me look chills. Where they're doing that, like on the beach. I mean, that's, that's again, you don't see, it's funny. I don't know if we've ever seen a real beach in a Marvel movie. Yeah, <laughs> except except of course with the uh, new Asgard, new Asgard on Earth. Well, but I mean this true. this shot gave me chills. I mean seeing the shots of Angelina Jolie and all that kind of stuff, and and Selma Hayek, and I don't know, man. It just it just looks really good. And again, Marvel continues to now make different kinds of movies. You know, it's it the, every single thing they seem to do now has 
a very heavy other kind of influence. Obviously, they're going drama here, like a centuries epic drama. I liked what I saw. Again, it's not like it's just a teaser. Didn't blow my socks off, but I thought it was really solid for what it was just kind of presenting us. And I look forward to the first official trailer when they actually start giving us a little bit of plot. Question is for you guys. What did you think? about this Eternals teaser, what they're calling it right now. It doesn't really give us anything about the movie other than who are the Eternals. They've been here, obviously, for thousands of years. They just want to observe. They want to help guide a little bit. They don't want to interfere. But something now has come that's even apparently a bigger threat than Thanos that they feel that now we have to interfere. What do you think that might be? Questions, guys. What did you think about the trailer? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with all that down and out of the way, uh, let's now move on to your live questions, shall we? And how do we select our live questions here on the John Campion Show? It's really rather simple. You see, you guys just simply go down and click on the tip link that's in the description of this video. Just click on it there manually, or you can type it into your browser simply by going to your browser and typing in www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your live commenter question on the show, if it's appropriate for the show, but as of course, you'll also be supporting the channel at the same time, and all of us here involved at John Campia's show, thank you guys very much for that support. Now, I'm going to admit I, I made a mistake I accidentally, um, I, I, oh, there we go. I found it now. Sorry. I missed my spot. I lost my spot uh, where we were now. We've actually going to go back a couple of days to Friday for the questions because I was supposed to do a companion video this weekend. I didn't get around to it because I was just completely done after my day at Disneyland, but don't worry. Any questions we don't get to today, me and Kimberly Kern will be doing a companion video later this afternoon here on the uh, John Cabot channel. So all the questions will get answered, but let's jump on over and start getting caught up here. Shall we next up? We've got Skylar Hillman who writes, Hey, John, I laughed when you said the other day that the main character from My Hero Academia is annoying. Seems to be a common trope for main characters in anime to be that way. Have either of you or Rob seen the 1990s Shonen Yu Yu Hakusho? I have not seen it. I'm not familiar with that. Rob, are you familiar with it no, at all? No, I've not, I've not seen it either. Yeah, and you know, Skylar, that's the thing. I, anyway, uh, Skylar also... We'll get to Skylar's second point in a second. I... I don't watch a ton of anime. Like I've seen all the big classic stuff, like all the big classic stuff. I make sure I watch that. There are a few things I've been, but I'm not a, a, an anime aficionado. I'm not a huge, pardon me. There's certainly animes that I love, but I'm not a big lover of the, of the genre as a whole. So there's a lot of this type of stuff that I hear a lot of you guys recommend that I've never even heard of because I don't really keep my eye on those circles. But uh, again, the title of it for anybody else who's interested in it, many of you maybe, is the 90s uh, Shonen Yu Yu Hakusho. So if any of the rest of you guys know it, maybe you can jump into the live thing and chat with Skylar about that. All right, next up. Uh, Skylar also writes two of two. I apologize if my comment yesterday was uh, inconsiderate. I can't remember what your comment was, Skylar. Uh, you gave me more perspective as I was only thinking about uh, uh, efficacy, not how it brings comfort. It makes more sense to me now. Sacrificing a uh, little for others. Sacrificing the little for others' comfort is indeed worth it. Blessings. Okay, you, you, that might have been something to do with like mask wearing in theaters. It, it still has come up like they're saying now that if you're fully vaccinated like I am, and that Rob is, and many of you are now, that you don't necessarily have to go out with masks. How do I feel about wearing masks in theaters? I still wear my mask in theaters. Well, actually, it's still mandated. You have to wear masks in theaters. But even if it wasn't the mandate right now, I probably still will. And not because I need to, because I don't. 
But if me wearing a mask makes other people who are still a little bit, you know, timid about coming to theaters coming in, if me wearing a mask helps other people feel more comfortable, then what is it? What is it to me? It's not a big deal. So I slap it on and I'm wearing a mask while I'm watching a movie. No big deal. If that can help somebody else feel more comfortable in the theater, then that's what I want to do. Um, so again, but you know, hopefully we're getting to a place as we continue to see our numbers drop, Rob, which is great to see. Um, hopefully very soon, hopefully much sooner rather than later, we're going to be at a place where we'll be pretty much back to normal. So that's going to be best for all of us. All right, next up, Mr. Silver writes, I just recently rewatched the show Flash Forward and found that it still holds up after 10 years. I remember fans protested to have the show continued after its cancellation. I know you're a big Joseph Fiennes fan and wondered if you'd ever watched it. I have never watched Flash Forward, Rob. Never watched it. I barely, re- I mean, I recognize the name, but I barely recognize it. Did you ever watch Flash Forward? Are you familiar with the show? Uh, yeah, I know the show, but I didn't watch it. I've never seen it. Uh, now, Joseph Fiennes, who Mr. Silva is referencing here, yeah, I am a big Joseph Fiennes fan. I, this dude is, he's currently, you can see him in The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, he plays the commander in The Handmaid's Tale. He's kind of been the main guy, uh, the main, uh, you know, Gilead guy in there. Of course, he was the star of the Best Picture winning film, Shakespeare in Love. Uh, he starred alongside Al Pacino in The Merchant of Venice. I think Joseph Fiennes is great. And yes, he is the brother of the actor I consider, Rob, to be the best actor in the world who doesn't have an Academy Award, and that is his brother, Rafe Fiennes, who also played Voldemort in the Harry Potter movies. So uh, these two guys are powerhouse actors. I love them both, but I'm not familiar with that show, Mr. Silva. All right, thanks for writing that in, man. Next up, uh, Brian uh, Solis writes in, one of two. To the gruesome twosome Rob and John, it's always been my dream to work for Warner Brothers, be it as an actor or a garbage man. It makes no difference. I just need to be on that lot. But lately with the big names speaking out against Warner Brothers and most recently uh, Ice Cube uh, on Kevin Smith's podcast said Warner Brothers doesn't know what they're doing. He'd never work with them uh, and is thinking of suing to get his rights to, to Friday back. What is going on over there? Uh, is there hope with Discovery or do I need a new dream? Thanks. Um, and listen, Rob, one of the favorite as a guy who's just lived his life as a massive film fan, one of the coolest things about uh, some of the best experiences I've had, Rob, is just being able to go and visit these lots. I've been on the Warner Brothers lot many times, the Fox lot, the Sony over at Sony Studios, the Disney lot, so on and so forth. There's something magical about walking onto these historic, amazing lots where you know some of the greatest movies of all time have ever been made. And I've been over to Warner Brothers several times, like many, many, many times over the years. But it's, I Rob, I never stop I never cease to be amazed like when I walk out of the parking structure and onto the Disney lot or onto the Warner Brothers lot or onto the Fox lot. There's every single time, and I've probably done it at least 100 times now, that I don't stop for a second and just kind of look around and just breathe it in when you know the history, the film history that's there. Anyway, getting back to the Warner Brothers thing. When Rob and I talked about the Warner Brothers situation last week, One of the things that I said, I'm actually very optimistic about this move. I think getting Warner Media out of the hands of AT&T, a cell phone company, is the best thing that could happen to Warner Media right now. And you're putting it into the hands 
of not only a very successful entertainment company in discovery, but also like a company that has a CEO already and who's their chief executive that has been guiding things to great results that has developed and developed a reputation of having great relationships with talent. And even before discovery was an entertainment executive, does that mean it's going to work? No, doesn't mean it's going to work, but do I think their prospects look better today than they did two weeks ago? I believe so, Rob. I think things look brighter today uh, for the future of Warner Media than I thought they looked two weeks ago. So I don't know. You've had a, a you know some time now to sit on this, Rob. When you're you know we're hearing from Brand right now saying like, is there any hope for for Warner in the future? I think there is. How are you feeling about it right now? No, I actually think that I, I'm optimistic about this merger with Discovery. I think that it's a much better fit. I think they're going to have people that are more uh, more understanding of how the entertainment business works. I mean, obviously, it's a very quirky, very specific kind of a business that doesn't work like any other business. True. And uh, I, I'm, I'm optimistic. I think it's 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 a good thing. I agree. It's, All right. It's certainly a better thing than what was happening with. Warner yeah, the last yeah, yeah. I, I, I think there is light at the end of the tunnel right now. And I think you're going to have, uh, I think we got a much better reason to have hope now than we did a week ago. So, hey, listen, it could go south very easily, but do I think it looks promising? Yes, I do. I, I think this looks very, very promising. So we'll see how things go. All right, next up, Toshi Victor writes, one of two. I recently watched Top Gun in theaters because it just had a re-release in theaters, Rob, for its 31st anniversary, which is really cool. Uh, I just re-watched Top Gun in theaters and I found it to be an okay movie. Part of the problem is the action. It's sometimes hard to tell who's in what jet and who gets shot down. Maybe it's the tech of the day or maybe I just can't follow the characters are really the strength of the movie. While they can be cliche and indicative of the time, it's still pretty fun to see them interact. The romance isn't bad. Actually, I thought the romance in Top Gun was actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but I do hope uh, that gets uh, better in the new movie. Well, I mean, listen, all film is subjective, Toshi. I mean, eh, if it doesn't hold up for you, it doesn't hold up for you. Nothing wrong with that. I watched Top Gun again about three years ago, Rob. I think we sat down one night and popped it because one of our friends was over, hadn't seen the original Top Gun, and all the talk was going on about a, a Top Gun sequel. And so we sat down and popped it on. I'll be surprised. I was personally pleasantly surprised by how well it does hold up. I mean, especially when you understand the era that that movie takes place in. I thought it stands up pretty well. That doesn't mean everybody does, Toshi. And you, if it didn't work for you, it didn't work for you. There's nothing wrong with that. But for me, it kind of did. Rob, when you look back on Top Gun now, 35 years later, I mean, obviously filmmaking trends have changed, all that kind of stuff. But do you find it still holds up for you? Do you find as the years pass, it's starting to wane a little bit? No, I think it absolutely holds up. I watched it uh, not too long ago as well. And, you know, it, it's very funny because, you know, when you when you go back and you look at, when I look at older films, I always look at it from the mindset of what was it like when this movie originally came out? Because you, you have to take that into consideration. It's it's like if you don't, uh, you're, you're sort of shortchanging yourself because filmmaking styles and techniques – there, there's a certain bombast in Top Gun that you don't see in movies anymore. So, like, let's say you were born in 1990 and you're 31 years old now. If you watch Top Gun and it, it, it's, it has a sensibility that's gone, you know, in terms of like even using Kenny Loggins, the danger zone and 
the acting and the the characterizations it's just you don't it's gone you don't see that and i think that there's a there's a a a, a, a swagger to it john that we've just it's com- been completely bled out of movies today you know there's even a certain jingoism about our american military and and uh it it, it is of its time it's just different and i i find it interesting when when like i've never whenever i watch movies i've never tried to judge them by how I feel today because how can you and as a film fan I grew up watching movies from all different eras and so I understand how people nowadays might look at Top Gun and be like same with Highlander like I saw a lot of people in the chat today that were saying they've never seen Highlander that's an older film man I, I it's well it came out I think it came out the same year as Top Gun 86 if memory serves. Oh, it might have. I couldn't tell you the exact year. Yeah. And so you're looking at, you go back and you watch it. I mean, I'm sure people, there'll be people in our chat right now that go back and watch Highlander and think to themselves, what is this? Yep. You know? <laughs> and, and it's, you, you just have to, it's hard to explain to people the, the influence that MTV had on filmmaking and pop culture and editorial styles and how music and movies would, would work sort of synergistically and, and, you know, Harold Faltermeyer's Top Gun Anthem, stuff like that. I mean, I don't know. It's hard. But it's it doesn't – it makes sense that some people are would give it or, or would be into it and other people aren't. All right. Let's move on here. Uh, next up – actually, there was another part from Toshi. We'll just finish up with a Toshi race. So Ice and Maverick are played very well. Uh, they were both played very well. Uh, and it's interesting how Ice wants Maverick to succeed instead of, uh, instead of fail. Not what I expected. The movie may be drenched in tropes, but there's still a lot of laughs and joy to be found. Interesting thing, though. As a movie that's 35 years old, you have to understand – some of the things they did in Top Gun at the time that today we consider tropes weren't tropes yet. Right. You know, it, it's it's one of those movies that helps set the trend of what other movies would then copy and it becomes a trope. Um, so that's just one thing you got to keep in mind, too, about the context about when it was made. But anyway, thanks for sending that in, Toshi. All right. Next up. Toshi also writes, it's going to be interesting to see Maverick deal with a more drone-led Air Force and how he'll deal with possibly being the last generation of ace pilots. Thanks, John, for all you do and reading this. You know, Toshi, you bring up an itch. Toshi brings up something really interesting here, Rob, which is, you know, one of the things that I have critiqued about them doing another Top Gun is that, hey, guys, 25 years too late. Like this is this is this is something that should have happened 25 years ago or 20 years ago or 15 years ago. But one of the things that does work to its advantage is we are in an era right now, Rob, of massive technological transition. And what doing a Top Gun movie today allows them to do that they probably couldn't really have done 15 years ago was maybe, you know, now you've got Maverick maybe he's the fish out of water now. Maybe now it's a part of it is him dealing with what this transition is to more, you know, technology control defenses. You know, you, you're going to have less and less manned pilots and, and maybe his dealing with that. Maybe there'll be a philosophical sense. I don't know. What do you think about that? Does that work in his favor or is it something you should avoid? Oh, I think it absolutely works in its favor because it speaks to the era that we're in. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people uh, in the next it's already been happening, but people who lose their jobs and they're going to be replaced by technology, whether it's AI or whether it's manufacturing technology. And if you, if you're not ready to uh, accept that, it could be, could be rough. 
And I think that the I love the idea that Tom Cruise is really the last of his breed. He's like one of the only uh, pilots in the Air Force or, or pardon me, the Navy. He's a naval aviator um, that has seen actual combat. Yeah. Aerial combat. And that's that's something that I think is really uh, interesting. And the idea that he's going to be when you're fighting against drone technology, can human beings even even uh, hope to uh, master that? And that's a real that's a big question. And that's a fundamental, I think, existential question. And if you're a guy like Tom Cruise and you've been flying for 30 years, if Maverick is that guy and he realizes that he's about to be phased out by a machine, well, that's I think that's a, a great storyline for any movie, whether it's an action thriller, a science fiction movie, a drama. And I think that's a really interesting way to go. All right. Next up, we've got Anonymous by Choice writes, do you think Marvel Studios and Lucasfilm have ruined television? In the sense that now I can't just watch any show or film, i.e. it has to be really good for me to bother with it, like Mandalorian or WandaVision, Falcon Winter Soldier, and upcoming Loki. Love you, man. Well, I mean, no. And, and the reason I'll say no is this. And everybody will have different things, uh, opinions about this. Do I love Mandalorian? Absolutely. Do I think it's the greatest thing on television? No. But it's great. Did I love WandaVision? Obviously, I loved WandaVision. Do I think WandaVision is like the most innovative television ever and the best thing on TV right now? No, I didn't think that. I still loved it. Loved it. Did I really enjoy Falcon the Winter Soldier? Well, yeah, episodes four, five, and six I did. I mean, I, I liked episodes one, two, and three. I got more into it with episodes four, five, and six, and I really liked it. Do I think it's the greatest thing ever on television? No. So I think... You know, Lucasfilm, the Disney Plus st stuff, their premium, their premium stuff that they're making is pretty damn good so far. Mandalorian's been great. WandaVision was great. I really enjoyed Falcon Winter Soldier. But do I think like they are so far ahead of everything else on TV, which I don't, that it's like ruining television? No, not personally. There are still better things on TV that that are done, but they are certainly great and I'm enjoying them a lot. I don't know, Rob. You know, Disney, Disney's doing a great job, man, with their premium television stuff that they're doing two seasons of Mandalorian WandaVision Falcon Winter Soldier we got Loki coming up in just a couple of weeks which I'm super stoked about but I I mean I, I don't know I don't think that they're the best thing on television I don't think they've ruined television but I don't know how do you see it I hardly think they've ruined it what do people mean by that I mean we're getting quality uh, quality programming that is interesting and really well produced and fascinating to watch I mean, sometimes I wonder, what do people expect? Yeah. I mean, I know what he means by by ruining it because, you know, like once I started dating Anne, it's like Anne ruined almost all other women for me because it's like, you are the perfect woman. And now I can't even possibly conceive of being with anybody else. You know, it's just, it, or once you watch like The Godfather, it's like, like a lot of people after seeing Godfather, like, okay, mafia movies are ruined for me now because like nothing can live up to this. I don't think Disney's been on that level. I don't think the, the the Disney Plus shows have been on that level, but I've I've really loved them. I've really loved what we've seen so far. All right, next up, we've got Wizards made the playoffs. Yes, they did. Congrats to all the Washington Wizards fans. Who writes, uh, 10 most anticipated of 2021. Of course, it's something Rob and I talked about on Friday. Number 10, F9. 
Ah, uh, I really didn't like F9. And number nine, Space Jam 2. I'm not interested in Space Jam 2, although I'm a big LeBron James fan. Number eight, In the Heights. Rob's looking forward to that too. Number seven, Green Knight. That one looks really cool. Number six, Quiet Place Part 2, which is my number one most anticipated movie. Number five, Shang-Chi. Number four, Dune. Number three, Suicide Squad. Two, uh, Venom. And number one, Spider-Man 3, uh, No Way Home. Um, HMBW... Uh, Bond, Halloween Kills, Eternals, uh, Journal for Jordan, uh, Evan Hansen, and Jackass 4, I guess would be some honorable mentions. So you have a lot of great films still to come in 2021. Thanks for sharing your list on that, Wizards. Next up, Michael H. Jones writes, and tips on like $20. Thank you, Michael, for supporting the channel on that level, man. Uh, Michael H. Jones writes in, John, a word of caution. Please, everyone stay safe. Half of my office tested positive for COVID after office manager went to kids soccer tournament. John, thanks for all you do. Listen, I'm glad you pointed that out. That's why we still end our show uh, every day by saying, guys, take, you know, you know, take care of yourselves and take care of the people around you. Be smart, be safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. Um, we are heading in the right direction, but we are not free and clear. Uh, oh, three and a half million people have died of this damn thing. Uh, and we're not free and clear yet. When things start to get better is not the time to start relaxing. It's time to put the foot to the floor and really just wipe it the hell out. So yeah, please. It's a good cautionary thing you just shared with us, Michael. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, and a good reminder for all of us. All right. Peter Cunnington writes. In a recent interview, Kevin Feige admits casting Tilda Swinton as the chosen one in Doctor Strange was whitewashing. Do you think they should have gone with an Asian actor? Yeah, Rob, you probably saw that interview that Kevin Feige did. And it's not like he came out and said, wow, we really blew it uh, with that. It's not like he was saying, like, look, looking back on hindsight, whatever. Now, listen, you know me. I don't give a crap about who plays what role. If you want to go a certain way with a certain role, you go it. You want the late, great Michael Clark Duncan to play Kingpin, you do it. You want Michael B. Jordan to play Johnny Storm. The color of Johnny Storm's skin isn't important to who the character is. Go for it if you want. They cast Tilda Swinton as the ancient one. They said it was, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, not a druid. What was she? A, a Gaelic? She was, uh, anyway, I can't remember. She's supposed to be like one of these other backgrounds instead of the traditional Asian background. I didn't care. I mean, as long as it Cel works uh, in the movie, it Celtic. works. Celtic. Celtic. Thank you. Thank you. That's exactly what it was. You're right. Um, uh, to me, I'm like, go for it. If, it. if it makes the movie good, great. And Tilda Swinton was great in the movie, and I like that character. But I also get, you know, where some people were coming from over the Ancient One thing, because let's be honest, there's up until now, there have not been a great deal of roles that are just kind of naturally made for certain minorities in North America, like Asian roles and things like that. So I, I always understood that people were kind of upset about it. I understood it. For me, it didn't bother me because I'm totally cool with swapping in and out races on character. I don't give a shit. As long as you make a good movie, that's all that matters. Anything else is just a political agenda. So to me, I didn't really care, but I get it. And I think one of the things that I appreciate about a Kevin Feige is that he's very transparent with the audience about his thinking process. And it's like, look, we thought we were making a good move and it worked, but in hindsight, should we have maybe done it differently? Yeah, I think maybe today if I was making the same decision again, I might have made a different decision. I appreciate that about him, to be honest with you, that he has that kind of open thought process. And again, I don't think they made a big mistake by having Tilda Swinton in the role, but I also agree with Kevin Feige that maybe today he might have done it differently. So I kind of like that he reveals that sort of stuff because not a lot of studio executives come out and say, Oh, we really screwed the pooch on that. Uh, we're going to like, 
but he he's not afraid to kind of reveal that. Rob, what did you think when you heard Kevin Feige talking about that stuff? Well, I, I, I think that, look, I have to be honest, I was a little disappointed because, you know, I thought casting Tilda Swinton was interesting and his his reasoning we didn't we didn't want to go with the the cliched wizened you know Asian man which which was an obvious way to go and, and, I and think, maybe could have turned into a bit of a stereotype if they had done yeah it. that's what he's saying and and I think that the idea that there's multiple you know there's different ancient ones from all over the world from different cultures and things like that I thought Tilda Swinton was a Academy Award winning actress and somebody that really could hold her own and really anchored the film and classed up the joint as it were. And I, I'm like, you know, it, I thought it was a good choice. And when you make those creative choices, stand behind them. And I, 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 I think, look, now that maybe because, you know, he's made Shang-Chi and all that, and that he's worked with a lot of great Asian actors, the same way they brought in a lot of great uh, black actors to be in black Panther. I, I can see that, but it's like, dude, you've now made Shang-Chi. So you know, I don't think you have to apologize for anything. You're doing more for inclusion and diversity than any other franchise property out there that, I mean, Marvel is certainly, uh, and, and making it work, not seem like it's pandering, make it seem like it's natural. And, uh, I think it's great. And for him to, you know, kind of apologize for that. I, I, I didn't like that to be honest. All right, next up. And we'll get, uh, I just realized we kept Rob overtime here. So we'll do one more with Rob here. And we'll do this from Ahmed Z who writes, I'm getting sick and tired of these entertainment industry of the entertainment industry, just looking to milk us in any way possible. You mean like every single industry and business on the planet? Right. Uh, anyway, uh, if I want to stream it on its initial release date, so be it. If I want to go to the theaters, uh, I'll do that. If I want to rent it now before owning it, I'll do that. Stop trying to just maximize profits and put the customer first. Give us all the options from day one and I'll choose what's best for me. Hashtag yikes. Hashtag frustrated. Why so much BS with the media company's strategy when they realize customer happiness uh, should be uh, first, not their BS strategies, just looking to capitalize off customers. For example, Disney should give us the option to own WandaVision and Falcon the Winter Soldier through iTunes, for example, and release it all at once to please the binge watchers. No, because that would piss off a whole bunch of us. So speak for yourself, Ahmed. You don't speak for me. You don't speak for a lot of other people who agree with me. Uh, just put that away. Uh, anyway, and I think you had one more. Uh, smart and will help them maximize their profits. No, it'll kill their profits. To be honest, if they chose customer happiness over their BS strategies, they would probably make more money anyways. No, they wouldn't. Uh, sorry for ranting. Bad day at home. Uh, P.S. Why not? Why not let me rent Godzilla versus Kong now on iTunes? Why wait till the till June 29th? And also, why is it $29.99 to buy it now? That's a 50% increase from previous prices. Greedy. Uh, where? Okay, so. Here's the thing, Ahmed. I this whole mantra of do what makes the customers happy, put the customers first. Basically, that's like saying, you know what? A Ferrari shouldn't cost me $125,000. Make it $5,000. Put the customer first. Give us what we want. We want a $5,000 Ferrari. Well, that's great but that'll put Ferrari out of business and that, that won't work. That won't work for them. You know what McDonald's should do? Give us seven for the price of one. I want to order one 10 piece McNuggets and then they should give me seven. That's what the customer wants. And I'll make the customers happy. That's great. And McDonald's is going to go out of McDonald's is going to go out of business. 
It was just that simple. Every company in every industry manages their business in the way that they think is best for their business. Every company does it, Rob. Whether it's a blue jean manufacturing company, whether it's a computer manufacturing company, whether it's a home food delivery service company, whether it's whatever, everybody positions their thing. And the reason they do it is because they think it's what works best. It's just that simple. The consumer saying, give me what I want, even if it kills your industry, is not a viable option for any of those businesses. And Warner Brothers right now is finding it out. As the article in Variety says, it's like, already, Rob, we're just a few months into their experiment. That experiment has cost them over a billion dollars in losses, says Variety. Over a billion dollars in losses. And then you ask, well, why not let me just buy Falcon the Winter Soldier? Because the whole reason they invested all their money and all their tens and hundreds of millions of dollars into it is because they want it to be an attraction for people to sign up to Disney+. Plus. That's the very purpose that they created it for. And you're saying what they should do is completely contradictory to the very purpose that they created for, and it'd be completely, you know, um, what's the best word I'm looking for? Counterproductive. It would be counterproductive to what they're doing. Yeah, they could put it up on iTunes and they'd make a couple of bucks off it. But then it sends the message that, hey, guys, don't worry. You don't need to sign up for Disney Plus to get all the Disney Plus content. You can just pick and choose which Disney Plus content you want. And you don't have to sign up for Disney Plus. Well, guess what? They've just invested billions of dollars into Disney Plus. Billions and billions and billions of dollars into Disney Plus. And the whole reason they spent that money and are making shows like WandaVision and that is to attract viewers to it. And you're not going to attract a lot of viewers if you just say, oh, by the way, there's tons of other options that you could watch it this way too. No, the exclusive way to watch this content is by being one of our subscribers. So, and this whole thing about drop it to binge, nonsense, nonsense. I disagree with that completely. And I'm a binger. I'm totally a binger. But guess what, Rob? I got more invested and hyped up and excited and bought into WandaVision when all of us as fans, week to week, we were always on the same chapter together. We got to watch an episode and buzz and talk and hype and everything about it for a week. And then all together, we got to watch another episode the following week. And then all together, we got to watch another episode the following week. And what happened? WandaVision was talked about, buzzed about, discussed everything for two months. What happens when they drop a show all at once? People talk about it for a week and then it's gone. Nobody's talking about Shadow and Bone anymore, Rob. Shadow and Bone came to Netflix, dropped. It's pretty good, by the way. Ben Barnes is awesome in it. It's, it's pretty good. But Shadow and Bone dropped. A bunch of people talked about it for three or four days and then it disappeared. It's gone. Nobody talks about Shadow and Bone anymore. Whereas we talked about Falcon the Winter Soldier for months. We talked about WandaVision for months. We talked about Mandalorian for months. So they see this is clearly the best way for us to do business. To tell any company, you know what, Apple? Eh, just just uh, give me the Mac Pro for 50 bucks because that would make me happy. Well, that's true, but it's contrary to their business plan and it puts them out of business. So listen. Uh, Ahmed, I get the frustration. I do. But I also think this is right now, Rob, the wild, wild west era of streaming. 
Like every, it's all just getting started and you're going to see the, we're going to see me streaming and these streaming companies evolve over the next two years as they really try to find their footing and what really works for them and what really doesn't. So we'll probably see a bunch of changes over the next 24 months, but yeah, I, I don't blame a company for doing what they think is best for their product and, and, you know, keeps fans happy. And for the most part they have, but I don't know, Rob, you know, Ahmed just, you know, really laid out. Uh, I, I think some reasonable frustrations. I mean, I disagree with them, but I think they're they're reasonable by saying it. What would how would you respond to Ahmed and some of the things that he's saying? Well, I mean, look, <laughs> like you said, uh, it ain't show friends; it's show business. And I mean, quite frankly, uh, these companies have a way of doing business and a way of delivering their product that is tried and true, and that's what they're going to continue to do. That's it's it's profitable for them and. I understand we now live in a world where we get all kinds of conveniences, more than we've ever had in our lives, you know, lifetimes. There's so many different ways to watch things. And look, I collect physical media and I like to have things that I like to own. But the fact of the matter is, you know, I look at something like Netflix and Disney Plus, they're not going to satisfy my desire to have physical media, for instance, because why would they? You know, they the whole idea is to get us to watch their service. That's the whole point. And, and they're going to be moving us over to watch their streaming services. All of these companies are because it, for them, it's the ultimate revenue stream. They know how much money they're getting every month. They have, they can, they can look at uh, a bank can look at a spreadsheet and go, Oh, okay. They know that a new Marvel series is going to get this many eyeballs on it, which means it's going to drive their subscription base and keep it steady. So there's, there's all of these factors that, uh, play into how this stuff gets made in the first place. And without those things, they wouldn't get made. Mm, So, so, you know, unless Disney knew if the Marvel shows as streaming shows that are only exclusive to Disney plus, if they weren't working, well, then Marvel wouldn't make them. And then we wouldn't get, we wouldn't get them. And so I think that it's very, uh, it's very important to remind ourselves they're doing what they can to make good business happen. So, <laughs> uh, dat boy 22 in the live chat just wrote, why are big Macs only sold at McDonald's? I should be able to get one at Burger King. <laughs> That's actually a great example. And again, listen, Ahmed, I, I am definitely not crapping on your frustration. I, I get there's lots of things that the entertainment industry do, does that frustrates me that other people may not have a problem with, with your particular frustrations here. I respect that. I, again, I just disagree with it because I believe that it's contrary to what is productive for them and helps keep them in business and makes it possible for them to make the content that they make. But that yeah. doesn't devaluate your frustrations about that at all. And Rob, I thought I thought what you said was really insightful. Anyway, Rob, we kept you overtime today. Thanks for being here. In the meantime, and until tomorrow, where can people follow you and all of your goodness online? You can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on YouTube at Burnett RM or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, dude, thanks a lot for being here, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Have a good one, man. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett, our very own Ramirez to our Connor McLeod. Anyway, let's keep on going with your questions, guys. We still got a few minutes left here. And don't forget, whatever questions we don't get to here, me and Kimberly Kern will cover a little bit later this afternoon in a companion video that she and I are going to do, and we'll get ourselves all cut up here. All right, next up. Uh, Oh, I'm so relieved, says Nicholas. 
I was starting to think that Warner Brothers forgot about Batman. I think you're being facetious. Forgot about Batman. We have so little content on him. Uh, where are the comics and the movies and the TV shows about that guy? I was I was confusing. It was confusing, but now I'm good. Um, and an Injustice animated movie is exactly what Superman needs to be enjoyed by the all by all the audience. Kingdom Come or the Man Who Has Everything are certainly stories we talk about too often. Um, uh, so let's focus on a what if Superman went wrong. This possibility has been too little explored in recent years. No publishing house or studio tried that crap after after all three or three. Okay, so obviously Nicholas is being very facetious, and I get it. But I gotta say, now this is all being predicated on the fact that they announced, and we talked about this last week, that they are going to do an animated straight to video um Injustice Gods Among Us story. I am excited about this because I think it's one of the greatest comic book stories of the past five to 10 years. Uh, I really do. I think the writing in that comic line is so good. Uh, I think it is one of the best, if not the best comic book story I've read in like five to 10 years. It's just fantastic. I love it. Now, of course, it's more Batman. It's more Superman. But there's a reason you do. they do a lot of Batman. And now, do I think they're in danger of oversaturating Batman? Yes. You remember DC and Warner brothers used to have a rule many years ago that they keep their movies and their TV stuff totally separate and no Superman, Batman or wonder woman on TV because that devalues the characters to them. At the time they thought this, they thought putting these characters on TV actually devalues them. You know, the more common something is the less valuable it is. Just watch pawn stars. You'll see that there's lots of it. It becomes less valuable. The rarer it is, the more valuable it is. And Warner Brothers, you know, through the much of the 2000s and everything, they always felt like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, these are properties that we are withholding exclusively for the big screen and for movies. Then as regime changes happen, they loosened up on that. But I would contend that there, I think it's been proven that they were right. The more and more they throw Superman on TV, the more and more they throw Batman around on TV and things like that. It does kind of, I believe, lessen the value of them a little bit. They're oversaturating the character a little. Does that mean that I'm not excited about an Injustice animated thing? Of course not. Does that mean I'm not excited about the Robert Pattinson Batman movie? I very much am. I'm very excited about that. Can't wait to see that. But they should. You do raise a good point, Nicholas. They should keep an eye on how much they oversaturate uh, certain characters, because all you're going to do long term, you might get some short term benefit, but long term, you're killing your potential. And uh, I kind of wish Warner Brothers would go back to their older school uh, way of thinking on that and kind of be more exclusive with these characters and be a little bit more, you know, space it out a little bit. But whatever. I'm still excited about the content that we have coming. All right. Next up. Uh, we've got, that was Nicholas. Next up, we've got, uh, another one from Nicholas who writes, I have an idea for Warner brothers. Why not schedule a refreshing movie in which Batman makes Lois a child after she realizes how boring dating Superman is. Plus Joker and Harley come to the wedding because we don't see them enough either. That would be a $2 billion movie. And again, Nicholas kind of continuing on with the facetiousness, but I appreciate it. All right. Next up, uh, Winnie the Pooh writes, uh, if a genie appeared and offered you the ability to redo 2020 COVID free, but you had to release your Star Wars fan film and breakdancing video for all the world to see, would you do it? Well, there is almost nothing that would make me release my Star Wars fan film, Rise of the Trades, 
uh, which we won awards for, but in hindsight is very terrible. Um, I, there's almost nothing that would make me release that or my old breakdancing videos. But undoing 2020 COVID, dude, three and a half million people have died. So, yeah. For the sake of saving three and a half million people's lives, yes, I would release my breakdancing video and my uh, my Star Wars fan film. For that, for three and a half million people's lives, that I will do. All right, thanks for that, man. Next up, Daniel Skinner writes, Hello, Mr. Campia. My most anticipated film of 2021 is a gunpowder milkshake, a blend of John Wick and Birds of Prey coming to Netflix on July 14th with Karen Gillian, who I just love um, in the lead role. And you also have Angela Bassett, who is a goddess, uh, Paul Giamatti, who is iconic, and Michelle Yeoh, who is the baddest of badasses. I love watching Michelle Yeoh in anything starring. The cast is very impressive. But most Netflix movies bite. <laughs> most Netflix movies just suck. Uh, the ones that come originally. So I, I don't give it a lot of benefit of the doubt. Like even the most recent, like even one that I do like, like say Army of the Dead, it's got a lot of problems. Um, it's Army of the Dead's got a lot of problems. But as a zombie movie, I had a lot of fun with it. Like I, I did a straight out of the theater review of Army of the Dead, but in traditional Netflix ways, even that is just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things wrong with that movie that, that aren't great, but I had a lot, much like Godzilla versus Kong. I love Godzilla. I had a lot of fun watching Godzilla versus Kong, but there are a number of issues it has. I found that uh, army of the dead is the same. Now, of course there are some big winners on Netflix, right? I thought the old guard was fantastic. The Irishman was great. Um, but the problem is, for every one of those exceptional ones, there's like 15 to 20 total pieces of garbage that Netflix puts out uh, as their as original movies. And so I have to admit, and maybe it's not fair, but my starting assumption about a Netflix original movie is that it'll be bad. And then it pr has to prove me otherwise, like Old Guard did and, and uh, The Irishman did and a few and a number of others as well. But and, and again, I admit maybe this isn't fair. But my starting assumption is that a Netflix original movie is going to be bad until I see it and it proves me otherwise. Again, not the best thing, but yeah, it, it, it's I'm sorry, but that's just the, the math. It's like 95% of their original movies suck. So I, even with an incredible cast like that, Daniel, it's hard for me to get too excited about it until I see it and it proves me wrong. Uh, then we can all be happy and celebrate and like, yay. And it happens from time to time, but it, it happens too few and too far in between. You know what I mean? So we'll see though. We'll see. Thanks for that, Daniel. All right. Next up, uh, anonymous writes, Hey, John and Rob saw a test screening of the new Texas chainsaw massacre sequel for a few months ago. And it's definitely to remember, uh, part Halloween, 2018, part it from 2017, uh, and Elsie Fisher from eighth grade was incredible as well. Yeah. I, it's not really what Rob brought it up, brought up this new Texas chainsaw massacre a couple of weeks ago. We discussed it a bit. I'm not really following it too much. And by the way, Cameron Nelson sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Cameron. I appreciate that, man. Um, it's not one that I followed very much. But I know Rob expressed that he was had some anticipation for it, so we will keep our eyes open for that. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, Anonymous. Appreciate that. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Cutter Hale writes, 
I love that name. Uh, my 10 most anticipated 10 free guy with Ryan Reynolds. Good Canadian kid. I'm looking. It's not in my top 10, but I am looking forward to that. Number nine, Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Also Ryan Reynolds. Eight, Halloween Kills. I'm very excited for that. Number seven, In the Heights. Rob's really excited about that. Number six, Shang-Chi. Number five, Spider-Man. And number four, The King's Man. I, the trailer hasn't, hasn't thrilled me for The King's Man. You know what the other thing is? The Kingsman Part 2, I thought was terrible. Like the first time I saw it, I tried to say that it was just disappointing and I was lying to myself a bit, I think, because I love the first Kingsman so much. But the second one was really, really was quite bad. And it's really making it hard for me to get excited about this third one, even though the great Ray Fiennes is in it. Um, But we'll see. We'll see. All right. Number three, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Number two, A Quiet Place Part Two. And number one, Fast Nine. But I'm also, <laughs> and I really didn't like Fast Nine. Uh, but I'm also really looking forward to Snake Eyes, Top uh, Top Gun, Black Widow. Th- that's the thing. In talking about our top 10 most anticipated, it was a reminder, putting that list together was a reminder of, Mike, there are a lot of really good-looking movies coming out this year still. And, like, you forget about it until you try to put together this list and you start realizing all these movies I was leaving off the list. It's like, but I only got 10 slots. So a bunch of movies like Free Guy that I am very excited about, I didn't have on my list. So there's a lot coming, Cutter. Thanks for sharing your list, man. Next up, uh, SMJ writes, a quote I wish that person would have told me what will you have in 500 years of course that's a quote from invincible that was a really great moment you know his dad omni-man says to his son what do you have in 500 years and the son looks at him and says i'd have you dad that was such a good moment that was such a good moment i love that line thanks for reminding me of that smj all right next up we got ben bangs writes Hey guys, my top upcoming film is A Quiet Place 2, me too, uh, because I'm a ginormous fan of Emily Blunt's and I'll go to Jungle Cruise too. But I think basing or basing movies on rides discourages creativity in the same way too many superhero movies do. Your thoughts? Well, no, I mean, listen, I remember back in the day, like this is early in my movie blog days, when they announced that they were doing a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And I was like, wait a minute. You're doing a movie based on a theme park ride. How stupid can you be? But guess what? That first Pirates of the Caribbean movie came out and it was awesome and loads of fun. And I had to eat my words on that one because I, th- I said for a long time before that came out, this is going to be so dumb. Who makes a movie based on a theme park ride? Well, they did. And it turned out great. Now, we won't talk about all the other Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but that first one was great. And it's not like they're doing it, you know, it's not like we're getting three movies a year that are based on theme park rides. I mean, it happens once every blue moon. And if you have a great idea for a movie and it, it can be based around a recognizable IP, Go for it. If you can make it work, you can make it work. Look what happened with Lego movie for heaven's sakes. I'm not super excited about this jungle cruise movie. Number one, cause I don't think the trailers have been all that great. Although I think the, the chemistry between Emily Blunt and Dwayne, the rock Johnson looks really good. Um, it hasn't looked great. And then when Disney announced that they were going to make it one of the films that they're going to put straight to Disney plus and theaters at the same time, I'm like, Oh, well that's Bob Chapek just yelling to the universe. We don't believe in this movie. 
hey, everybody, we don't think this movie's actually all that good. That's kind of what they're saying by putting it straight to Disney+. Plus. So I don't know, but it doesn't mean it can't be great. And I think if you come up with a great idea first and then it fits in with an existing IP that can make it more recognizable, hey, it worked for Pirates of the Caribbean. Let's see where they go with that. All right, next up. Uh, thanks for that, Ben. Next one up, uh, Ben uh, Rayner writes, Hey, John, I was watching the portal scene again, and it gets me every time. Me too. Uh, time even before Chadwick left us. When Black Panther walks out, it was so emotional, a symbol of everybody coming back. And now that Chadwick has left, uh, has left multiples that emotion 10 times for me. Great scene. You know what? I was watching that portal scene the other day because what was it that brought it up? Uh, we were watching the portal scene again the other day. And I can't remember why specifically. But anyway, I was watching the portal scene again the other day. And you're absolutely right. That moment when, you know, him, Okoye, uh, not Okoye, but when uh, him, uh, Shuri, and yeah, it was Okoye that walked with him, I think. And when the three of them came walking out together out of the portal, watching it again now, having lost Chadwick Boseman, it absolutely heightens the emotionality of that moment because now it's not just the King is back. It's also, we lost the King, you know, all at the same time. And so, yeah, I think you're absolutely uh, bang on the money about that, Ben. It, it was, it definitely heightened the emotions of that. All right, guys, we got time for one more. Uh, this one comes to us from an anonymous viewer who writes uh, one character that could use, uh, they say so one character, the could you, do you mean they? Guys, please proofread right where we were in. One character they could use to replace Kara if Lucasfilm wanted to continue with Rangers is hers. Is whose? However, I assume Dave has a plans for her in the future. He should not change to help get show going. Also, I don't know if her son Jason would fit in show. I have no idea what you're talking about, Anonymous. One character the could use to replace Kara if Lucasfilm wanted to continue with Rangers is hers. However, I, I'm sorry, dude. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I apologize, man. You took the time to, to tip in and write into the show. Please, guys, take an extra second or two to reread over what it is you wrote and say, can somebody who's not in my head understand what I'm writing? Because because now I feel like you just sent that in and I can't answer your question properly. I apologize, Anonymous, but I just don't know what it is you're asking. Sorry for that, dude. All right. Uh, well, since I said we have time for one more, let's do this. Um, Ryan G writes, hey, John, has Rob seen the Big Bang Theory? And if not, he should get right on it ASAP. Well, obviously, Rob's not here for that. But I will tell you that I would not recommend to him that he should get on it ASAP. I did not. I, I don't like Big Bang Theory. And I know it is one of the most popular sitcoms of the past, you know, 10 years. I understand that. But, and I'm only speaking for myself. I'm not poo-pooing on anybody else who loves it. Because I know there's a lot of you guys who love Big Bang Theory. And that's awesome. But it just, it didn't click with me. I gave it a number of episodes. I tried it. Now, I not right away when it first came out, but I got on board with it a little bit because everybody was talking about how much they love this show. So I'm like, okay, I'll try watching it. And I watched a number of episodes and I just didn't find it funny. And here's the way I describe The Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory is a show that tries to tap in, um, that tries to really tap into the spirit of our current pop culture 
let me rephrase. By people really trying to tap into geek culture being written by people who clearly don't understand geek culture. Like I watch the show and like I hear all these jokes being made all pertaining around geek culture. Like, oh, we're really going to appear to appeal to geek culture. But I'm like, the people writing these jokes clearly don't really understand geek culture. And that's all I could think about when I was trying to watch this show. It's like, it's like watching me trying to do an instructional video on how to fix a carburetor when I clearly have no idea how to fix a carburetor. Like I, I don't, I can barely, I can change a wheel on my car if I have to, but I can barely do that. So it's like watching. Yeah. So that's what it is. Watching big bang theory being written by people who clearly don't really get geek culture. is like watching me do a YouTube video on how to fix a carburetor when I clearly have no idea how to fix a carburetor. But again, that's just how it hit me. That maybe it hit you differently. Maybe it hit you. Like it really had its finger on the pulse of the geek culture. And if so, that's awesome. I'm not, Trying to yuck on your yum, as Chris Carr would say. But yeah, man, it just didn't work for me. I wish it did. I wish it did. All right. That's it for me for now, guys, for today's installment of the John Campion Show. Good way to kick off our week. A lot of good stuff that we were able to talk about here today. So guys, listen, thank you so much for spending some of your time here with us today. It means an awful lot to us that you do. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his glory and goodness to the show. And a special thank you to all you guys who sent in these live questions. Number one, because it gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you actually support this show while you do it. So all of us here involved with the John Campus Show, thank you guys very, very much for that support. Now, again, there are still more questions to come, so don't worry. Me and Kimberly Kern are doing a companion video later today. Keep your guys' eyes open for it. If you sent in a question today, it's going to get answered in that companion video a little bit later today. And then don't forget, guys, you can send in these live question or comments anytime you want. You don't have to wait for the show to be live. If you've got a question or comment that you want read in the question and comments part of the show, simply go anytime to that tip link that's in the description of this video, or you could enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. And thank you to all you guys who do that. All right, guys. That will do it for me for now until the John Campus show tomorrow. And of course, our companion video a little bit later today with me and Kimberly. Thanks so much for being here. Remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia. And until next time, there can be only one. <laughs>